Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad, and I am joined by Alex, or with Alex, if I could speak correctly. Hello, Alex. Hello. We have some stuff to talk about. Now, I think it, it seems like Wizards forgot to feed the deckless guy again. Um, we've had an issue. I mean, it randomly showed up saying, hey, here's a league from the other day uh, for Pioneer, at least the league dump. But even other formats like Modern doesn't have anything posted since the 21st. Uh, and we're awaiting a, the uh, showcase results. But thanks to our inside sources and knowledge of MTGO grinders and Twitter and ACC from the Pioneer Reddit and uh, the Pioneer Discord, uh, we have seven of the potential top eight for the showcase. Now, it does seem like the challenge from Saturday did not fire. So before we actually get into, I guess, the showcase, let me ask you, Alex, is there reason for concern regarding the recent challenges not firing? The showcase makes sense to fire because it's a bigger prize pool, things like that. That one's expected to fire. But are, are you concerned at all with uh, since Mother's Day, four challenges not firing now? I'm somewhat concerned. Yeah, it's I, I'm I'm not concerned in like the way of like, oh, I don't think you know, Pioneer is healthy or fun anymore or something. But I think people just don't have much of a reason to care, right? We talked about this a while ago already, where, like, Modo isn't really the thing that's made for Pioneer, right? It's yeah. paper first, and I think it would catch on if it gets on Arena. But Modo is an awkward spot to be in, because um, I think with Pioneer you are attracting maybe, like, a crowd that doesn't like Modo or isn't accustomed to Modo. Because they might be like old standard players or maybe like people who like dipped into historic or something. So they are more familiar with the old, car, uh, old carpool. Maybe, you know, people who played like Commander and stuff. And they're all not very in, in tune with MTGO. And there's not much of a reward to it. So a lot of people are like, I don't know if I want to spend my whole Sunday or that sort of thing. I don't want to learn a program, which is honestly my main thing why I don't play Modo. I can't be bothered to learn how to play on Modo. Um, and like committing a whole like day in my weekend to playing a challenge is also a bit much so in that way i'm worried for bodo online well for pioneer online because i feel like it it worsens the public perception of the format right i yeah. play the format enough i know the format is fun i know the format is healthy and in terms of like its gameplay and i'm pretty confident that once we go back to paper more that pioneer is going to be perfectly fine but just the news of like multiple challenges don't fire is just and you know you tweeted about it some other people tweeted about it recently i was i think it was uh the japan hobbyist of the mtg pioneer podcast you know there was sort of like a twitter thing going on where people who play pioneer like we talked about before too are getting a little bit like tired of people shitting on the format and this is just you know food for the trolls and that's more what worries me because it's only a matter of time before more people pick up on memeing on Pioneer. And that, that's the main thing. That we're, and that's the annoying part about it. I'm not even worried about the game, but I'm annoyed about people. Well, I'm worried about people being stupid, which is not the type of thing you should be worried about. But here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like you mentioned, we I, I tweeted about it uh, like from uh, the first Pioneers. Uh, Claudius, we did about it. Um, it. It all comes down to just like, hey, you know, if you haven't played the format, just I don't give a shit about some joke that you're regurgitating from an MTG streamer last year when the combo stuff was bad. It's it's old. It's tiring. Like if you haven't played the format, you have no room to talk. 
You should shut your mouth and play Pioneer before you, you know, talk shit about it. Now, if you if you're an avid player and you grind leagues and things like that, by all means, if you have criticisms of a format, you're allowed to have those criticisms. You and I both have had criticisms of Pioneer, but that's because we like the format so much we want to see it survive and thrive. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference in like you can critique something because you like it and you want it to be better, or you can critique something just because you enjoy shitting on it. Yeah. And I feel like it's more of the second than the first bit going on right now. Yeah, and that was even some sentiment in like the replies to like my tweet. Um, we had a few people being like, we had a few people just hop in, but yo, Pioneer's trash just because they want to fucking start shit. Um, we also have uh, a few people even agreeing with that. We have Foam from the server commented saying it's pure toxicity. Pioneer's the best format. Um, we have uh, people saying like things like, uh, there's been this weird vitriol towards Pioneer for a while. It's not even in jest. It's just nasty. That comes from the Haas power. Uh, so it's, like, it's not anything new. It's just unfortunate. It's It's weird that... I don't know. What do you think it is? Like, why do you think people like to hate on the format? Do, are they afraid that, like, their favorite format, like Modern or Legacy, are going to lose players to Pioneer? Because that's a weird thing. I, I don't I don't understand why it's... Because it, it's true. It's 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 almost like Pioneer's the Tron of Magic. I don't f***ing get it. It's it's only a matter of time till like, Wizard's own official account makes a meme about us. Like, oh, God. <laughs> well, it's, it's initially just, like, it was bad. People don't, like acknowledge that things change because their lives are stuck in an endless motion of either you know whatever i'm not gonna shit on people too much but um like it's either just because they're like trying to hide their own misery or something um and you know it's easy to jump on the bandwagon um or they are afraid it's gonna you know like i've heard people say like in uh in a positive way like oh yeah you know i really love pioneer and in my lgs like modern events were being replaced by pioneer events or standard events we were playing a ton of pioneer and i was having a blast now that means someone's going to be on the receiving end of that too and losing like a modern event every month losing a legacy event every month i know uh in the netherlands we have the dutch open series and that used to be um four formats and it was on saturday it was two formats on sunday it was two formats and it was always standard modern legacy and sealed and actually when pioneer first came out standard was so bad that they actually replaced standard with pioneer um i don't know how they were going to do that in the future because it's like all the other scenes are huge right the but anyway the point being like at that point standard players didn't have an event to go to because it was replaced with Pioneer. So people are going to be upset about that, right? That there's there's a certain extent to which people will see events being replaced by Pioneer. And if you then don't like Pioneer, you know, your, you know, sort of like easy reaction is just try and get people to hate it so they stop doing it. And you get your evening back. Yeah. Which is, to an extent, an understandable reaction. Right, because if 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 you are really passionate about modern and you can now no longer play modern or you can play less modern, you're going to be upset, and that's understandable, right? I don't, I can sympathize with those people. The people who just jump on the bandwagon to shit on it, like, please piss off. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, I get it, but it was uh, Amit uh, said something or Ekros. He was saying something about, uh, and him and Doomwake were actually both saying it, that Pioneer is something that has a very interesting card pool and a lot of powerful cards, 
but it's not quite fine-tuned enough where a lot of the decks feel like they are missing something or like they're not explored enough, which we talked about. Pioneer definitely feels like it's underexplored. Um, we'll talk about a couple of um, newish decks popping up that you know you would typically expect of any Eternal format. And shut the f*** up if you sit there and tell me, Pioneer's not an Eternal format or Modern's not an Eternal I, I know. I know. But it's better to say an Eternal format than a non-rotating. Wait, why aren't they called an Eternal format? Because Eternal formats are ones that have access to all cards. So like Legacy and Vintage. Uh, Pioneer and Modern are considered, quote-unquote, non-rotating formats. Oh, I always thought Eternal and non-rotating was the same thing. No, it's... Because Eternal is like, it's always there. But, I, okay, today I learned. It's it's stupid. Pedantics. Exactly. That's why I hate the argument so much. <laughs> but, yeah, like, Pioneer's cool. We, but we are missing some, you know, some certain decks. And it was funny that they mentioned Claudio being the biggest pilot and advocate for uh, Niv Delight. Dude's been playing the deck forever. Of course, when you spend every waking minute of the day playing a certain deck, you're going to figure out the best numbers and what to sleeve up and what to bring to your next event is. And that's why Niv seems to be doing so well, which is another thing that, like, I, myself, and we both failed to mention or really talk about when we were asking, is Niv too good? You have a very, very skilled pilot who only plays that deck. And if you look at the recent deck list of Niv, there's a lot of his name in there on MTGO and a lot of people using the same 75 or off by maybe one or two in the 75 from his lists. He's really carrying the torch of this Niv list. We don't have anyone doing that for, say, Pyromancer. We kind of have that with Spirits for Traft. But, like, could you imagine if every list had a, someone dedicated like Claudio? Well, I mean, as far as I know, there's also, like, I know Ekeros, or I mean, has played a lot of Is It Phoenix on stream and has done some testing and stuff. We've got Traft for Spirits. We've got um, Claudio. Did I say Claudio? Yeah. For, um, for Niv. Well, don't these three happen to be the, th the top three decks in the format? Yeah. Which have, like, streamers and other, like, really dedicated grinders making sure they've got the best 75, and somehow these decks perform best. Hmm. Coincidence? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, if everyone would just listen to me and copy my list, Grixis would be up there, too. But... <laughs> you win one weekly, and you're like, Grixis' best deck. <laughs> Humble brag. Um... Yeah, but like overall, I mean, I'm I don't want to stick too long on our quote unquote damage control because there there is no damage to fix here. Um, there's more just like facts to state. It's um, the the state of Pioneer on MTGO isn't good. That's a fair point to make. That doesn't mean Pioneer overall is not good because Modo doesn't reflect the whole the whole picture. Right, it doesn't give us the whole picture, so that's fine. Would be cool if we had a uh, a, a way to inject cards right into the format, like a uh, Modern Horizons. That'd be cool. Oh no, oh no. Hey, looking at some of these spoilers, from Modern Horizons too. I'm like, yeah, give me some of these for Pioneer, like the the gist or gist or whatever. The the yeah, and then I look at some of the others, mainly grief, and be like, yeah, don't give me that. Oh yeah, I don't want grief. But, like, <laughs> grief would make me cry in Pioneer. Yeah, but you you can't have half of it, Brad. Yeah, I can. <laughs> you know, you, you get you get all of it or you get none of it. Okay, I want that. Take it or leave it. If if you want Git or whatever the Golgari shitty planeswalker is called, you can either get that, but then you're also getting grief. We can get Gist, but at, okay, that should, be the, that should be the ceiling power level for Pioneer uh, Horizons. That should be it right there. 
super creative, really cool uh, design. And I'm not going to lie, though. I love grief as a card, and it makes me want to play modern. I saw that. I was like, shit, <laughs> that seems fun. Um, also, uh, like, because ephemerate with that is just dumb. Yeah. It's like, ha <laughs> It's Modern Horizons 2 and Modern Horizons 1 combining to make the most annoying deck of all time. And this is exactly why I don't want Pioneer Horizons. Yeah, exactly. And this is why I don't want Pioneer Horizons, because this type of crap happens, right? <laughs> I mean... People are like, guys, remember this card everyone hates from the first one? It combines very well with the card everyone hates from the second one. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, but give us guest. Or, um... Grief is so good, Cloud Shift might see modern play. Yeah. Which would actually be a really fun Pioneer card, Cloud Shift. But for people who don't know, it's just one white and just, just blinks your creature immediately. Yeah. So just re-triggers its enter the battlefield. Okay, so what about this? Okay. Modern Horizons is like, f*** it. Y'all can have Counterspell now, right? Why can't Pioneer just get the equivalent of that, of the power level, and be like, here's Remand, or here's uh, Mana Leak? Eh? 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 Remand's like, I don't know, it, it's it's hard to evaluate. Remand is such a weird card. and It, it can like randomly show up and be like an absolute corner cornerstone of certain decks, and then, then it just immediately disappears again. Memory Lapse. Memory lapse is really good, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> memory lapse is really good. Give us memory lapse. <laughs> so before we, um, you know, dive too deep into the uh, hypothetical, um, you mentioned, you uh, referred to it a little bit earlier, a deck we've seen show up. Uh, well, actually, let, let's just talk about the, the showcase, right? Which showed up in the top eight. So again, seven out of eight decks are known. Uh, it was taken down, the whole of them, by... Uh, let me get that up. Um... How do you pronounce this? Andre Klepach? Probably, yeah. Andre Klepach? I'll just say that. Uh, won it on Junt, but Junt Citadel instead of Junt Food. Another spot in the top eight was Junt Food. Then we had two Phoenix decks, one Boros Burn deck, one Pyromancer deck, one Unknown deck, so we can talk about that, and Mono Blue Spirits. Now, Mono Blue Spirits is a, actually playing Mono Blue Tempo is a thing I, I brought up like a week or two ago. Like, hey, why aren't we seeing that? And then now we do. Um, which is deck. So, yeah, that, this seems like really good against like the Demir deck. This seems really good against Niv potentially. And here we are. Now, it's not immediately taken the format by storm. It showed up in this one top eight and before it's generally seen in leagues um, at the moment. And it's really what you'd expect of a Mono Blue they call it Mono Blue Spirits because it is technically a Spirits deck, but it plays very similar to Mono Blue Tempo, having Curious Obsession too. But the lists tend to not have Sea Dasher Octopus, so it's not too all in on that plan, and it's more like a, an aggro deck at the same time. So it's really what you'd expect, also known as like makes your deck, your life completely miserable if you're a control player. So I've pulled up a pretty basic list here. They're all very similar. Um,. Main deck being creatures, 24 of them. Ascendant Spirit, which is the one from Kaldheim that you can, like, level up akin to, like, Warden of the First Tree and um, whatever the Boros Spirit call is called that saw occasional modern play in budget decks a while ago. Hex Drinker. Not and, or Hex Drinker. So that's level up, which is slightly different than this one. Um, anyway, so that one, which immediately means you're playing all Snow Basics, so might as well play Faceless Haven, which is the entire mana base. Three Faceless Haven, 19 Snow-Covered Islands. 
Continuing on the creatures, we've got Mausoleum Wanderer, Spectral Sailor, Rattle Chains, Shacklegeist, and Supreme Phantom. By now, I assume everyone knows what they do. Standard cards from the spirit list. Then there is one miscast in this case. Counter target instant or sorcery spell unless its controller pays three. Only costs two a blue. Spell pierce, three off. Lofty denial, four off. Two unsubstantiate, and then four curious obsession. And then the sideboard is really where it gets miserable. Three dispel, three aether gust, two entrancing malady. Uh, three Mystic Subdual, which is from um, Ikoria, and it's a Flash Aura you can put on a creature. And it gets minus two, minus zero, and it loses all abilities. That's pretty good. And then four Mystical Dispute. I guess for the mirror. No, <laughs> like going up against all the other blue decks. So this deck is the typical, like, you're playing, like, a control deck or something. You're in trouble. You drop one chain whirler and the game is over. <laughs> it's that type of deck. <laughs> Imagine going turn one Soul Scar Mage, turn two Karizev, turn three chain whirler against this, and they're like, "What am I doing?" Jokes on you! I already had a Rattle Chains in play, and I'm gonna flash in a Supreme Phantom in response. Fair enough. I like Mono Tempo. I I tried it with the Octopus, and I was like, "It's just too too many Cures Obsessions," which I thought I'd never say, but <laughs> too many Cures Obsessions not quite good enough. Fair enough. It's a huge difference, obviously, right? One versus two mana. Uh, I guess because it doesn't allow you to immediately go turn two, slap it on, and protect it at the same time. Yeah. Now, remember when we had Simic uh, Tempo, where they played uh, the Sixth Sense card from Amaket? Keen Sense. Yeah, Keen Sense, or whatever. Um, we should go back to that. Oh, and they could play um, Decisive Denial. That's two mana. Doesn't work, Brad. No, okay, no, no, okay. It's not, it's not like it's one man hour out of here. No, they don't only play spell appears. They you see substantiate or substantiate. Um, you see, uh, it. yeah, but that's against supreme verdict, I guess. So it doesn't immediately ruin your day. True, true. I still like decisive denial or whatever random permanent they put in the way of you. Um, also, the fighting isn't very good if your deck is full of one ones, <laughs> not when they're pumped. <laughs> Just wait till my Ascendant Spirit becomes a 4-4 four, four. <laughs> okay. after I spend 8 mana on it. <laughs> I want to I pivot something real quick because it just made me think of this because we're talking about green and I was thinking of Simic Stompy um, which is just mono green splashing blue for Decisive Denial and like uh, uh, what's the 1 mana Ferocious Counterspell? Uh, stubborn Now. Yeah. So I recently watched a uh, Budget Magic Memer Dream hybrid video for Goldfish it was a one tick, so one dollar mono black devotion and pioneer, and it was cool. But Safranov was talking about the format, and he was saying that like pioneer is so dependent or so built around the idea of turn one dork into like a a really good turn three play, and. I heard that and I was like, I mean, I can see it. it. There there are decks that like to do that. Jun Food being one of them, your Simic Stompy list. But there are plenty of decks that just don't abuse dorks. And I feel like the majority of decks in Pioneer don't abuse dorks. And I was wondering if you felt the same way or if you felt like dorks are such a pivotal part of the format. I mean, they are in the top uh, creatures played in the format. But it just feels like most of the decks aren't doing that or am i just 
not quite thinking right the way the right way i feel like there is hmm, like there's merit to the argument but i think it paints like half the picture right because you're right there's not a lot of like there's a reasonable number of decks that rely on dorks but not like all the decks rely on dorks or something but it is definitely true i think that if your deck doesn't have a good way of answering or like responding to a dork on turn one either with a woman a removal spell or some sort of dork or really powerful one drop of your own you are going to have a really hard time against effectively every deck that runs dorks right it's it's uh, especially when they're on the play right then jumping to turn to three mana after you've got to spend one mana in the entire game is really tough now I don't know if I, like, I already consider it, like, a problem, but it is definitely um, an important part of the format, and it's also why, I mean, also, again, I feel like every format has this, but there is a huge dependency on play draw, which I do think is a thing that, like, has, like, become more important in Magic overall, over the years where like being on the play becomes more and more important almost every year um but that but that is a big thing right you're gonna have to um going into the dark against a matchup i do like kind of mulligan hard to finding one mana interaction because i know if i'm in a deck that's gonna put me to the test and i don't have it my chance to win is immediately pretty damn low yeah it's just like there's I, I think of like Citadel and I think of playing like John Food and like but then I just think of like spirits and we're not playing spirits in the same way that like you might see it in modern where they play like Noble Hierarch uh to kind of get some ramp going, that kind of thing. Again, they're top five, top ten creatures in the format. Um and re- remember a while ago maybe a year ago where people were genuinely having the conversation of like, maybe we should ban one of the, the elves, either Elvish mystic or land elves. Cause I remember that being a genuine argument that people were having for a hot minute. Uh, uh, but then, you know, the combo thing just decimated everything. And everyone was kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> they quickly forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> when, when inverter was like, hi, <laughs> Uh, but I don't, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where people. Oh, actually, I'll, I'll. I hope we get to this point. I think pioneers in a pretty good spot, or your format in general is in a good spot. If the worst thing people are like clamoring about that like should need a ban is when they're talking about thoughtsies and your dorks. I think that's a good format because that's just people saying I can't play mid range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Which is, I, I mean, I want to play my like, four or five drop right now, but they have a dork or they have a thought season. I lost my dork. It's not fair, Alex. It's not fair. <laughs> Ban it. <laughs> Never do that voice again. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, you're making a pretty good point, right? Where, and I mean, maybe this is part of the hate that Pioneer gets. Because people got these weird fantasies about playing Siege Rhino and it just didn't come to fruition. And they were just like, I can't even play my mid-range cards in this format. Why would I play it then? Right? And they're like, dude, Omnath exists. 
I'm not this cool. It's just you just don't play Siege Rhino. Why is that the epitome of mid-range? I mean, I, I I always bring up the example of Siege Rhino and give me the idea that I hate Siege Rhino. I really like Siege Rhino. It's just not good. But why is that the epitome of uh, mid-range? Why is that the gold standard of mid-range? Because it was it was so good at the time in standard where it was like the ultimate mid-range threat. Where it it was a huge body, it trampled over blockers, it like got you a bit of life back, so it allowed for like life swings. It actually gave um burn to these type of decks, which often don't have burn. Um because generally like being red in a mid-range gives you burn. Generally black doesn't do that. Right? Most black burn spells are really bad. So like sovereign's bite and that sort of thing. What's the what's the what's the uh, the draw two take two? <laughs> uh, s- draw three take two. Oh, uh, painful. Uh, no, we've got we've got sign in blood. It's easy. You could target your opponent with that. Yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just and I know there was a whole meme about it when it was banned or when rotation happened, and people were like almost like celebrating the day that Siege Rhino finally rotated. And I think, like, power creep happened and, like, standards came afterwards that people didn't actually enjoy that much. And they were thinking back with, like, rose-tinted glasses. And they're like, you know what? Siege Rhino was actually really cool. I think literally they made a Reddit devoted to, like, celebrating that Siege Rhino was banned. And I believe that very same Reddit eventually became a Reddit that was like, please, can we have Siege Rhino back? We love that card. (laughs) I think they were literally the same people. Who just shifted their sentiment. Do you have a card when you think of standard, like our standard that you played, that is like your most hated card ever in a standard? Ooh. I mean, it has to be Carnage Tyrant. No, actually, no Hide Ferox. I hate that card way more. <laughs> like, <laughs> they got one card in hand, you thought erasure them, and they're, you're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> no, you play your Nicol Bolas the Ravager, and they're like, don't mind if I do, and they drop a 6 6 on your ass, right? That was. It's yeah, it's probably no height Ferox. I, I really hate I, I just really didn't enjoy playing against that card. And I think because I, I I've told stories like this before, where I genuinely had people at my LGS who like hated my guts for playing control and would just slam decks full of Carnage Tyrants and No Height Feroxes and that sort of shit. And it really annoyed me. Especially because I think No Height Ferox was printed at the time where um Amonkhet and Kaladesh had just, yeah, they had just rotated. And from those sets, I actually had a lot of good answers to Carnage Tyrant eventually. Things like Gonti and uh, Vizier of Many Faces, which can actually copy your opponent's Carnage Tyrant. Um, so you can give them a taste of their own medicine. Uh, Doomfall being a pretty reasonable edict at the time. Especially Jehenny's expertise into Doomfall, so all their small creatures were gone, and then you would edict their big creature and stuff like that. And that had all just rotated. So I was just out of answers. I was just like, I don't know what to do, dude. And I brought in like Vona's Hunger, I think, as like an edict. It was just like bad times, bad times. <laughs> there was an Orzov split card from Ravnica that I played to get rid of a Carnage Tyrant. Um, oh, yeah, the Consume something. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, uh, I can't remember the name of it, though. When I think of cards I hated, though, one of my first cards I think of is uh, obviously Nexus, but that was Nexus when Wilderness Reclamation came out. And we had, like, the fog effects and standard and stuff like that. You had, like, the f- big Teferi kind of, like, just emblem you and lose. And I was just like, this is... In, in paper, it was miserable. 
it was way more miserable on paper because at least when i'm playing arena yeah i somehow forgot about nexus i i guess my brain just tried to delete it just, yeah nexus is definitely number one like at least in on digital i can browse twitter like on arena or something like that and like okay yeah you go you, you want to go fucking masturbate that's fine have fun uh, I'll, I'll i'll browse twitter while you do your thing um but in like in paper i have to sit across from the person and watch them i have to fucking sit there um but outside of nexus i really really hated four mana chandra when i first got into standard oh tod I really couldn't stand that card. Love that card. Because, like, every time they cast it, I was like... Because this just... It just felt, like, far and away that one of the best cards in Standard at the time. And you're like, this is fucking... At the time, it was a modern card. It it was seen in play in modern. I was like, this isn't fair. You shouldn't be able to have this shit. (laughs) Stop that. (laughs) And then they emblem, and you're like, okay. Cool. Happy. I'm glad. Oh, and then uh, Approach. Approach I couldn't stand. Because I, I was playing Burn. Okay, I, I kind of liked Approach because I still remember Approach Mirrors, well, Approach Mirrors, but Approach Matchups as a control deck being so slow, I remember regularly keeping Seven Landers. Because I was like, I know nothing is going to happen for the first 15 turns of this game. So all I need to do is make sure I have enough mana to fight the fight when all hell breaks loose. And I knew that's all I had to do. So I just kept seven landers. And it's like, yeah, and I drew an eighth land. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Right, I don't care. Drew a ninth land. Yeah, sure. Oh, fine. I finally found a glimmer of genius. So cool, got some counter spells now. Okay, I'm good to go. Could you imagine there's any matchup in, like, magic ever again where you can keep a seven lander? I mean, like, yeah, it's fine. It's it's slow enough. You're going to be, like, ember cleaved out of the game on turn four. <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's another card that we don't see that much in Pioneer is Embercleave, which is a very powerful card. And, I mean, it, it goes best in Gruul, so maybe it's just because the the uh, mana isn't the best in Gruul, but, like, it's still so good. Well, I feel like a lot of these decks, and we'll touch more on this later, I feel like a lot of the decks that would run Embercleave are collected company decks instead. Mm-hmm. And you just want to have more good creatures to hit with your company. And end step company just compensates. You don't need to cleave. Like, it could be that. Because I've, I've seen, like, some Gruul decks that run both company and cleave, uh, Ember Cleave. And then they run, like, one or two Ember Cleaves. And those decks are, like, on, like, the outskirts of the format. Or if you play a co- collected company deck and you play a lot of high-power creatures, just play Great Engine instead. And you can't run both because you're just gonna gonna run into the problem of running too many things that aren't creatures. I don't like Greyhunch. Don't like that card. It's boring. It's a boring card. It resolves, and I'm like, that's a big tree. Like, okay, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, I've never been in a game where my opponent has a Greyhunch, and I've felt threatened by it. Like, it's good, but I've really never felt threatened by it because I'm just like, okay, I can kill you through this anyway. I just had to sit here and watch you tap it for the the get, get gain your life. Cool. Yeah. You, now you played a land or elf. Oh wow, it has it has a counter on it. It's a two two. I'm terrified. <laughs> and then okay, cool. And then you 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 drew you drew a land. You can't do shit now. You're just delaying this at at this point. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I, I'll even have artifact removal in my hand, and I'll be like, do I want to kill this Greyhenge? And I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, no. 
No, I don't. I'd rather kill your fucking creature. <laughs> and I win. Like, it's just, it's just, it's frustrating that people, like, I wish people could play the Great Henge more often because it's a $80 card now because of Commander. Just reprint the Great Henge in some pre-con for, like, EDH. I don't, I don't care. So people could realize that, like, sometimes when you have the Great Henge down, it's too late. It's too late. You're dead. You gained five life in total. I'm proud of you. My Amber Cleave is better than your Great Henge. I'll put it that way. The Amber <laughs> Cleave is better. Great Henge is, is way better in Commander, but in Pioneer, I'd rather have Amber Cleave because at least Amber Cleave fucking kills you. <laughs> Great Henge is like, maybe I'll draw a card. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll gain enough life. No, you won't. Maybe I'll add like three power to the board. Congrats. <laughs> I, I'm, I, and my favorite is when they when they play a goose, and I'm like, first off, why are you playing goose in a non-food deck? Second, you have a one-three flyer, <laughs> Hong Kong. Yeah, it's gonna honk at you. <laughs> You're gonna like it. I, I don't know why I have this this really unreasonable, not 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 deserved at all rage against Greyhenge. I just don't <laughs> know why. <laughs> I I hate this card so much because it's just not that great. Like it, again, it's so powerful, but it's always too little, too late. I don't give a shit. I just don't. Brad releases all build build up rage about this card. <laughs> I complained about it the other day, or like a, a few weeks ago, just because of the commander thing, and I was like, oh, stupid card, this stupid card. Also, maybe I'm just bitter because I I had two of them. I got I opened two of them in an Eldrain box right after Eldrin came out and I sold them when they were like 40 a piece and now they're 80 a piece and I'm like god damn it damn it <sighs> I still have four Seagate Stormcaller f*** Eldrin <laughs> hey, hey one one day buddy that thing is gonna shine I promise one day. you if they reprint if they put dual caster mage into Pioneer <laughs> it's gonna spawn that deck so hey Claudio tried two of them in his uh, is it list for prowess ooh I mean, we we quickly went away from talking about Mono Blue. Um, So, because we wanted to touch on Is It a little bit, um, because we've, you know, we've seen some streamers play it, and um, we wanted to touch on it a little bit, especially also because we didn't have too much to talk about. Um, But the the Mono Blue Spirits, I don't know if there's much you would want to add on it. I, I think it's a deck that, like, is very good at targeting specific decks given this build, especially running things like three spell pierce in the main, a miscast in the main. Like, I could just so imagine you go up against this and you're, and you're playing your Simic Stompy deck and you're like, <laughs> what are you going to do? Spell pierce my great henge? I don't care. It's not a good card anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's why That's why I like the list that don't run the great henge. I'm just baiting you into not spell piercing my, uh, my collected company. <laughs> I'm just going to play Galta. I can honestly imagine taking Collected Company out of your deck when you play against this. And they're going to bring in Dispel, and they're going to do the old modern thing, and you're just going to take out your Collected Company. Okay, so I had a random idea. You know how we've seen Is a Phoenix playing like the three Drake, uh, three Crackling Drake in, um, two, in like one maximum velocity, right? Maximized velocity? Yeah. For that, for that one shot Splinter Twin thing? All right. We do the same thing in Gruul. But it's Galta. <laughs> Galta maximizes velocity. 
You truly are a madman, Brad. I, I'm just imagining, like, just taking a syringe of, like, adrenaline and just fucking stabbing Galta and be like, go get him, boy. <laughs> go. Be free. Why do we... Okay, no, we got cool Godzilla stuff, right? With, like, the cool different arts and, like, the secret layer stuff with, like, the, the mecha walking ballista. Yeah. Where's my robot hybrid T-Rex Galta? Or, or Carnage Tyrant? Galta already got an alternate art, and it's great. Okay, give me another. <laughs> another one. <laughs> I, I want robot dinosaur. Wait, hold on. Why are we not back in Kaladesh yet? Yeah, we're going. We were promised robot dinosaurs because Sahili was working on those yeah. with fucking what's her name? Watley. Yeah, we're we're gonna get those. Yeah, we have <laughs> now. <laughs> and we need to go, we need to go back to Amonkhet the same. We oh we fucking talked about this before because my dream thing was dinosaur things on Amonkhet, robot dinosaurs <laughs> on Amonkhet, and then we can bring and then we could do like uh, the 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 aliens thing. Why would either of them go to Amonkhet? I don't fucking care. We go to Amonkhet <laughs> with the dinosaur robots, and then we have the guy that goes aliens about everything. And now we have aliens on Amonkhet that help make the pyramids. And it turns out Nicol Bolas is actually an alien, and Ugin's an alien, and the, the meditation realm is not the meditation realm. Okay, never mind. He's going too far. I was just surprised <laughs> that we didn't get a robo dinosaur on War of the Spark, where Sahili was like, look at this thing. <laughs> Look at what I built, Bolas, while you were gone. <laughs> and just Robo Zaka, just Mecha Zakama shows up. Imagine that. It's the it's the meme with Will Smith where he's like showing like Jane Smith, and he's like, "Look, look what I fucking made." It's, <laughs> look, look. I was thinking of the Thor Ragnarok meme, and Bolas being like, "Yeah, you can't defeat me," and he's like, "Yeah, but he can." And then Robo Zakama shows up. <laughs> It's Zakama, but but hear me out. Laser eyes, right? <laughs> that could be the arena an, uh, animation where you activate one of the abilities, like three damage to a creature, zap. <laughs> Destroy an artifact, zap. Oh, like like the like the Tezzeret claw. Have you seen that one? The Tezzeret claw. Oh yeah, yeah. When it's, that it's one. The, yeah the 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 uh, the artifact one. That has um, what's the what's the uh, not fabricate? Yeah, the master of the bridge. Yeah, um, but yeah, that that one's that's such a cool animation. It has the affinity for planeswalkers thing. Yeah, affinity. Yeah. Okay, but if we go to Amonkhet with the with the robot dinosaur, <laughs> I love how you how casually you're like yeah, and then when we go to Amonkhet with the robot dinos, <laughs> okay, hear me out. The robot dino has to go through the trials. It becomes an eternal. If this was the story of Amonkhet when I started playing the game, I would have wouldn't have continued playing the game. I think. <laughs> I'm not taken seriously by this game developer. I'm out. <laughs> but imagine Eternal Robot Dino Dino Boy. Oh no, go away! <laughs> it's Eternal too. Wait, 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 wait! You no, no, okay, okay. Uh, what's 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 that one card from from Mixalon or, or Rivals Mixalon where it's it's like becoming a dinosaur? Like it's the red card, and they're like transforming into a dinosaur. I have it. I have it in my bag right now. I know. I five billion percent. I know. You mean the three drop? No, it's a bad enchantment. Form of the dinosaur. Found it. <laughs> Why is that in your bag? Uh, I, I brought my binder to school, so if kids are good, I give them a magic card. <laughs> and these are all bulk magic cards. It's like bulk rares. Like, look, look I have a pre-release Mirror March, Alex. A pre-release stamped mirror march. 
Hey, you're not going to keep that for your seven dwarves deck? You know, you know how many coin flips I won? Okay, the one thing I'm not going to give them, though, is my goblin dark dwellers. These things are so fucking nice. Look at that. Look at the buy a box, boys. Yeah. But, like, I'll give them, like, random dinosaur stuff. Like, the, I gave the one kid the um, the burning red. Sun's avatar. Deal three damage or something. Yeah. And then the mom threw it away. And I was like, what the fuck? Why? In this household, we believe in creationism, and the the world is only six thousand. Oh, actually, no, it's four thousand years. Old. I'm sorry, sorry for the creationists in the crowd. Uh, four thousand year old Earth, <laughs> dinosaurs didn't exist. Uh, you know, normal stuff. I love Jesus. I do. Yeah, like, look, you're you're allowed to fucking have any religion you want or faith, but like, come on, you know, we have dinosaurs. We we have. And, and they're, but they're not real skeletons or fossilized, so they could. Why were they all discovered around the same time? <laughs> I'm like, do you not understand how archaeology works? Like, Brad, Brad, one person finds a spot. Calm down. That has a lot of them. Calm down. We got you to talk about dinosaurs <laughs> and Egypt, and now you've gone into the archaeology thing. You're 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 going off track here, buddy. Let's try and. I'm just angry. <laughs> Let's try and reel it back. We're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Dreadhorde Arcanist. You you like this card, right, Brad? It all started. It all started with that stupid Great Henge, okay? <laughs> it was all downhill from there. But it all goes back to the Great Henge. <laughs> Alright, so with with uh, uh, apparently Mono Blue is cursed and Brad can't talk about it without going so horribly off subject <laughs> that he starts talking about any card as long as it isn't blue. So <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> that fucking deck. Okay, well, I had to endure an entire fucking standard uh, for, for, with that deck. Uh, and uh, Autumn Burchett won one of the, the first Mythic Invitational with it. Yes, with Mono Blue Tempo. When it was paper and it wasn't arena. Can we go back to paper, please? Now? Couple months, Brad. Hopefully, just a couple months, bloody hell. Um. Side note, if you want any Glyph Keepers, I have a whole page full of them. <laughs> At least we got Brad to talk about a blue card again. Uh, <laughs> it's progress. Now let's... So we're going from blue to is it? It's a Arcanist, Brad, Sprite Dragon. You like those cards? Expressive iteration? Yeah, I like Sprite Dragon. I, I like the uh, the dumb-looking one from Godzilla. Like that, that Sprite Dragon with, with like the terrifying, the terrifying face. No, the Doran, the perfect bet. I hate that one. That thing is fucking horrifying. Its face is like, uh, it's like a, one of those uh, weird Cabbage Patch dolls uh, combined with, um, what's the thing you don't give water after midnight or whatever? Gremlins. Is it Gremlins? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a Gremlin Cabbage Patch doll with wings. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a good horror movie. It's it's my pet. The perfect pet, apparently. The perfect pet if you want to be, like, eaten while you're asleep. So, um, we've had this, um, and there's some builds of it. We've seen Is It uh, in a couple builds. We've seen it in a wizard style. The main one I've seen, and I've seen uh, Ekros stream with it, and you saw other guys stream with it whose name slips my mind. I'm terrible at names. Claudio? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, so <laughs> I, lo I love you, Claudio. <laughs> I am terrible at names. I am just terrible at names. You fucking name dropped him earlier. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I forgot that that's me. Um, yeah, nice that to guy. Meet you too. 
fucking niffler. Hey, I didn't say that. I just said that guy. <laughs> uh, thank you for making Niv one of the top decks in the format. Hope can can you please fine tune another deck so we can also be like, wow, Claudio, you were just the pioneer of pioneer. We love you. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Claudio, the pioneer of pioneer. There you go. Perfect. Um, so we've seen in that build pretty much the is it prowess build kind of just ditches the phoenix part. And if anyone saw our Invitational this weekend, where we played Pioneer, it was very clear that Is It Phoenix decks is Is It Phoenix is actually just a Crackling Drake deck, and they're like, no, it's just way better to just play a Crackling Drake, maximize velocity, it just Splinter Twin is real again. <laughs> so they're like, let's just ditch the Phoenix and go with a different graveyard plan, as Brad is losing his mind. <laughs> you said Is It Phoenix decks. <laughs> funny uh you, you misspoke on accident you said is a phoenix dicks <laughs> which I'm, I'm assuming alex will cut will cut that but i i couldn't focus after that because I, I just imagined a fucking pigeon dick. all right let's let's laugh it off and we'll cut that part and we're just gonna do the initial take again so we've had the uh the is it phoenix decks obviously been around for a long time and as we saw on our Invitational this Saturday, for everyone, uh, anyone who's watched it, we saw that the Is It Phoenix deck is not really a Phoenix deck, it's more a Crackling Drake deck. Because I think half the uh, the wins that our pilot on it, uh, Risen, had was just, game seems kind of close, not sure who's going to win, Crackling Drake, hasted up, you're dead. And it's Splinter Twin. Yeah, it's Splinter Twin. Like, plenty of decks were concluded that way. And it seems like people, you know, obviously not just inspired by our Invitational, but like have been brewing up the idea of like, maybe with cards like Expressive Iteration, we can build an Arcanist deck instead. So some of them will still feature the Crackling Drake idea. Some of them have transitioned into just full-on Wizard Tribal, running stuff like Wizards, um, uh, Lightning, being much more aggro, not even like running Treasure Cruise in the main anymore. And then we've got the ones that are like way more similar to the Is It Phoenix list. They will still run things like strategic planning, treasure crews, and they're almost like an like an it's it's like a sort of like Is It grindy deck. They're not set up to like kill you on turn four with something like the Is It um, Wizard decks are, but they'll go like you know Arcanist, get an extra op, shock your extra creature, play Sprite Dragon, grow it, and then they just have like that crackling drake threat of like here's my 15-4 and sometimes it's actually going to be a 17-5 because I've just cast um, a maximized velocity on it and now you're dead and I, I do find the decks interesting because it kind of takes away from the problem that we've often seen with Phoenix where like Phoenix is an incredibly good deck but it always has to like yeah but what if you don't draw a Phoenix problem where your win cons are four phoenixes and three crackling drakes, and you kind of have to draw the phoenixes, and you kind of have to draw more than one. Because if you go and just, like, spin your wheels and cast a couple of ops and cast a couple of strategic plannings, and then one creature comes out, it's not that big of a deal if I have to, like, blow an actual removal spell on it. Obviously, uh, Vanishing Verse uh, makes a big difference here, too. Where some of the Niv decks going to like just upwards of four Vanishing Verse means your Phoenixes 
don't really do that much. And these decks try and shy away from it a little bit. Obviously, Sprite Dragon is another multicolored creature, so it's not even hit by it. And the Arcanist is just the big threat on turn two, where just if you don't answer this, it's going to go out of hand really quickly. The more we talk about this list and the more we talk about this deck in general, it makes me think of a few things. Um, first thing I thought of is, why haven't we seen anyone try Arcanist and Phoenix itself? Um, we've seen Young Pyromancer, we've seen Thing in the Ice, uh, and things like that. We've even seen Magmatic Channeler, which I also think Magmatic Channeler would be pretty cool in this Is It Prowess list. Because the whole idea is you're spell slinging and stuff like that, and you fill the yard, and it's suddenly a 4-4 swinging in. That's nothing to scoff at. Uh, coming from a... Uh, a primarily vampire player right now. When I get Dust Legion uh, champion down, it's a four-four. It's it's big enough. It's it's a it's a threat. Um, so I think both those two cards I, I think of, and we've seen like Abbot of uh, Carol Keep or whatever from Magic Origins. Yeah, that one's fine. Um, there was one I played in standard. It was from M19. I think it's just too slow. Oh yeah, it's because its loot ability is pay for you pay it. It's, it's the it's the library. It's it's the book burner. It's burning a book. Yeah, I, I know which one you mean. It's I think it's also called like Pyromancer or something. Yeah. Um, but if it was just like the red equivalent of Jace, which is like tap loot, or uh, what's the what's the Merfolk that that's based off of? Merfolk looter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dumbass me over here. Not not realizing <laughs> the name is straight up what it does. <laughs> That's why we call it loot. After Merkfolk looter. Ah. Hooray. Ah. Sometimes I forget the, the simplicities of uh this game. Like Millstone. Where that just crosses into all other TCGs. Hey, I'm gonna mill you. Why the fuck do we Well or zoo zoo as an archetype? Yeah, except for Yu-Gi-Oh! when it was Zodiacs, and that was in its own entirely. Yeah, but that was like three years ago. So, <laughs> as Brad is just <laughs> gone for a second, hello. <laughs> I, I misclicked it. <laughs> My first thought is like, I hope he thinks I hung up on him because he, he just offended me <laughs> about Zodiacs. <laughs> Zodiacs are weird. Um, so... Now that you randomly left, I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, random magic tie-ins. Uh, we have Millstone. We have Zoo because of the archetype for magic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I always like where Zoo originates from because it's just like, here's a lion and an ape and another cat. It's, like, it's a bit like a zoo. I, I like that as an art. I initially saw it show up in Hearthstone, and I didn't know why it was called Zoo because it was full of imps. And I was like... So kind of a kind of a funny zoo you've got going on there. <laughs> I was uh, I, I rewatched a movie. Um, have you ever heard of Hoodwinked? What? Okay, Hoodwinked is a movie from 2005 where it's a uh, who done it spin a uh, spin on uh, Little Red Riding Hood, where it's uh, like like Knives Out essentially, like a like a f- clue that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and at one point you see like the you find out who the main villain is and like who actually did it and they reveal their plan of like why they're stealing all the recipes and of like all these different bakeries and stuff and putting all these shops out of business and they want to open like this this giant like shopping center and like uh, they want to essentially put cocaine uh, in the food 
to like, and they didn't say cocaine, but it's basically that to like make it highly addictive. So people keep eating and spending money. And then in their blueprint of the plan of like all the different like shops, the bottom, it says zoo. And this is a universe where it's all talking animals. The, the, the <laughs> chief of police is a bear. The detective's a fucking frog. There's a wolf. There's a pig. There's a bunny. And I'm like, what the fuck is your zoo look like? It's also a universe where humans exist. Grandma is a human. It's a little red riding hood is a human. They see a furry down the, down the fucking river, a legitimate furry. He's dressed up as an animal. <laughs> There's no way they were going for any other kind of joke. And I'm like, what is your zoo? Is it other animals? Like, do you just, Is it humans? Is it, yeah, is it humans? Is it furries? <laughs> it's just furries. <laughs> you know, I don't think that'd be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> the zoo is just one big convention center, and it's just a furry convention, and once they go in, they're not allowed to go out. And there's just cameras set up. I don't know who'd want to watch it, but like... Hey, and uh, and Rise Against Savior is on repeat 24-7. <laughs> For anyone who actually understands that joke, I love you. If, you. if you don't understand that joke, look up Rise Against Savior and watch the music video. And then you'll, you'll thank me later. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll get back to uh, this fucking deck list. Alex was so proud of me. He messaged me the other day. He was like, hey, great job. Alex actually said fuck more than you have. And I was like, oh, cool. Not not, not this week at all. <laughs> no. Not at all. Uh, please, you don't need to censor this shit. There's, that's too, I've, I've said fuck too much. Don't censor this week. It's, un, it's uncut. Bigger, longer uncut. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to let you spin for a second. I mean... As I talk about this deck, I, I do like... Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if I like the idea of moving away from Phoenix, but I understand the idea of moving away from Phoenix to get sort of like a more consistent deck. But I do feel like the explosiveness of the deck is a little bit gone. Because the problem I've had with Arcanist, it's like... I know Arcanist is a potential like really big threat, but it's also... Just a sorcery speed, two drop, obviously dying to fatal push. Uh, when the D&D set comes out, it's going to die to portable hole. And um, in that way, it always feels somewhat vulnerable to me. So I like the idea of going up um, copies of Maximize Velocity. So you can actually haste your Arcanist, which which is a very powerful thing to be doing. I did it back at standard with Samet Sprint. And if you're able to haste an Arcanist, it's actually really good. I know it's done with Claim to Fame in um, Rakdos Pyromancer mm -hmm. or Rakdos Arcanist. Um, where that's... Which is nice because if you actually, if you have multiple Claim to Fames in the yard and then you go Claim Arcanist, Fame it, and then swing in, you can then actually cast claim again because its total CMC is or mana value is three, and you made Arcanist a three three, and then you can get back another creature, which is always a fun thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Like it, the the haste value of it is really great, and it's also a good excuse to put more maximized velocity in your Crackling Drake deck. 
because again, we saw this weekend what an incredible interaction that is, which, you know, people kind of memed about in standard, where it was, yeah, I, it's an option, right? There's a crackling drake in my deck, guess I'll put a maximized velocity in it for one shot, blah, blah, blah. And it, it just actually happened, like, a lot. And I've watched, like, quite a bit of, uh, you know, quite some streams recently of, like, Is It Phoenix and other things. Generally, Is It Phoenix, just because people keep playing it that I watch. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's just really good. Like, it's a really big threat where we're in a, a meta where there are some decks like, like Niv or Phoenix that are... Prone to tapping out on their own turn because they have to through, like, you know, Niv having most of its threats be sorcery speed, um, Phoenix obviously having to cast multiple spells in their turn, uh, to trigger Phoenix, which is part of the appeal of this deck because it's less forced into doing that. Where Phoenix, like, at its core, is like a tap out ish deck. But in this one, if you want to hold up, like, a negate and two spell pierces passing back to your opponent, you can. Right? The option is there. And that is a really interesting thing uh, that this deck's able to pull off, uh, as opposed to Phoenix, which obviously can't do that. Do you think this uh, Is It Blitz-style deck can help see maybe some kind of resurgence in, uh, or at least, like, can help inspire uh, brewers to take another look at scissors so i think um expressive iteration and scissors could be interesting um i think there's there's pieces to consider in that deck and we haven't seen ensoul in a while yeah i'm not sure i mean expressive iterations and scissors is interesting it's the thing i honestly didn't think about i do think expressive iteration and i've played with it myself too uh not in grixis but in uh an is it planeswalkers deck i build and Expressive Iteration is a really good card. And it's not seeing really any play in Phoenix. Um, mostly because if you hit a Phoenix, you're kind of prized in having to pick the Phoenix to either put in your hand or cast, which, you know, it's like never good to be like forced into options rather than having that flexibility. Uh, it's played in this one now in the Izzet decks. Uh, the mid-range, no, mid-range is a, I hate the word mid-range, in the uh, Arcanist slash aggro decks. And yeah, I could see it in Scissors. I don't I don't fully understand why Scissors fell off uh, at one point. We'll have to ask Ross Merriam. That was his favorite deck at the beginning of the format. Yeah, true. Like, I I, I don't really know why Scissors eventually left. We eventually got Az um, Azorius Scissors with Luris, and that deck's just kind of gone. Yeah. And, like, and Soul Artifact is still a good card. And um, Shrapnel Blast is still a good card. And we still have the uh, indestructible uh, land that you can slab and so yeah, on. Yeah, Darksteel Citadel. Yeah, so the pieces are still there. And I don't know, like, does it just... I'm trying to think, like, is it just not fast enough for things like Niv? Like, does Control match up well against you? No, it, it could either not be fast enough, or it's just... It's a... There's just... A deck like Is It Phoenix just does a similar thing, but just better. And this is a thing we've talked about in the past before. Obviously, we are most of what we're seeing, what the meta is, is Modo. And generally, Modo is very competitive. So if there is Is It Phoenix and like um, Is It and Soul, 
and they fill a similar hole, but one is better than the other, 95% of people are actually just going to play Phoenix. Because there's a lot of people, like the lot uh, people playing MTGO who are just like grinders, right? There's fewer like casual MTGO players, relatively speaking, than you would find like casual arena players. And because of that, you see a deck like Phoenix. It's sort of like if one deck like shows to be better than the other deck, the old deck will just kind of disappear because of the nature of Moto. Because the grinders are going to play the best deck. The best deck is going to show up in the challenges or going to do well in the challenges. And then people who see the challenges are like going to play the decks that are in the challenges. And it's sort of like just this like perpetual cycle where decks that do, you need like the innovators to actually bring something new. But if the innovators don't see potential in a deck, it's just not going to show up at all and people are just going to forget about it. Like, I honestly almost forgot that Is It Scissors was actually a deck. Even though at the start of the format, it was actually a really good one. Yeah. I want to see it. I, I, You're right. But I think that also goes back to just... If you like Is It Scissors and that's the deck you like to play, play it. Because I guarantee you, you could win a tournament. I can't see much that is like super wrong with it. I mean, it's obviously very annoying that you make all your creatures into 5-5s five and Niv is a 6-6. Six, six. I can imagine that honestly being a problem. Going into Jeskai, giving them... Uh, well, I mean, you can do this with, with instilling Is It. But I like I always like Jeskai because you could uh, go into... Uh, what's the one? All that glitters? Yeah. I like that card a lot. All that glitters is also a really good card. Also, um, Is It Scissors does play... Um, at least they did. They did play uh, Stone Cold Serpent. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah, so it's immune to pro multicolored. Yeah, and slapping a scissors on it. It has reach, right? It does have reach, so it can freely block uh, Niv, too. And Crackling Drake. Oh, and Crackling Drake, that's right. Another card we're not... Well, maybe, maybe you're onto something, Brad. I mean, we're not, we're not seeing enough Stone Cold Serpent in general. Like We'll see it in, uh, uh, what's it called, Auras, because it's just a, a good, consistent one-drop. Because that's what it's usually played as. Even in Scissors, it was played as a one-drop more often than not. But it's also flexible enough to be a good late game. And being having protection from multicolored is very good against seemingly two of the top decks in the format. Now, it feels bad if you don't have a big enough to dodge Lightning Axe against Phoenix uh, th- when you're talking about like Crackling Drake. But uh, how many cards actually dodge Lightning Axe, you know? Like, it's Niv. Very few. Yeah. Lightning Axe is a very good Torrential card. Torrential Gearhawk. Look at that. Um, He's a big boy. Look at that. Um, now, uh, another thing to touch on, because, you know, we're talking about, like, hey, why people are exploring Arcanist, and why are we, you know, why aren't we seeing Scissors? And we're talking about the unexplored nature of the format. Now, when I initially saw that Mono Blue Spirits list, I immediately went into, like, oh, God, what do I, what do I bring in against this? Right, because th- this deck terrifies me as a control player. And so I went to Scryfall and I try initially I tried to look up if there's a pro green, uh, a pro blue uh, creature in my colors. There wasn't because they're mostly green. Um, so I found a couple of cards because one thing that interests me about the deck is that their protection spells are counter spells. And we're not seeing them running things like Dive Down 
or Mizium Skin, which is also in this format, which is dive down, except it's only one toughness, but you could overload it to give Hexproof to all your creatures. Um, so we're not seeing that sort of um, protection. So in that case, you can actually start looking at uncounterable spells, because all their ways to protect are simply counter spells. And that brought me to like a select couple of cards, because there's not that many in the format. Um, Fry is a very interesting one, especially because um, Fry is actually looking like a pretty reasonable card again. It kills Crackling Drake, it kills Sprite Dragon, it kills Narset, especially coming out of the uh, Phoenix decks or these is it sort of uh, Blitzy decks. Um, it can be an interesting card for the mirror. It can now obviously also be a very good card against uh, Mono Blue Spirits. Then we've got Rending Volley, one red, and it does four damage. The only problem is it can't hit Planeswalkers, but it is one mana, so it's way better in like the tempo style matchups. Uh, Abrupt Decay um, yeah, is we... particularly good against Spirits, not good against... We haven't seen that card in forever. Yeah, it's it's not... The problem is, is that it's really good against like the Luris and these other style decks, and then you immediately get into this other category of decks, like Phoenix and Niv, where it just hits absolutely nothing. And in Pioneer at the moment, there is less value in like the flexibility of Abrupt Decay. Because, because it's like restricted to such a small, such a low CMC. In Pioneer, we're not seeing like a, a, a whole lot of like two mana artifacts, three mana enchantments, like that sort of thing, where that uh, obviously less three mana planeswalkers, because, well, Oko has been banned. Uh, Narset sees less play. Um, still a decent amount of play, but definitely less play than she did, like, you know, in the times before. Um, so there's just less to hit with Abrupt Decay, and especially with Vanishing Verse coming up, like, out of these multicolored decks. Just turns out to overall be a way better card in the sense that can't be countered isn't as relevant of a piece of text as it was like in legacy when abrupt decay came out it was huge in legacy because it worked around the spell pierces and the force of wills and that sort of things that were played so in that sense it's not that valuable except for this matchup where it's fantastic um then obviously supreme verdict makes all the sense uh shifting ceratops a card we haven't seen that much which would be huge against this deck um skylasher is also a good one uh out of a green deck if you want to go a little bit lower to the ground this one gets hit by your coco it's easier to bring out it actually immediately can go for a block on turn two which can like catch them by surprise when they try and go for uh like a curious obsession on a one one skylasher is uh for the people who don't know it's from What's that is it from dragon's maze one on the green for an insect flash skylasher can't be countered reach protection from blue so it's basically perfect against these decks they can't counter it they can't see it coming they go into it it can block it because it has reach and it doesn't take damage from it because it's pro blue yeah all these non-counterables their uh their only option is things like uh or they're unsubstantiate uh, uh, yeah they can unsubstantiate it but not even this, well, yeah, this one they can on the stack, but once it's on the field, they can't because it's pro-blue at all times. Uh, Shifting Ceratops has the problem where it's more offensive. It's not that good of a blocker because you'd have to hold back the mana to give it reach. Uh, but it is obviously a big boy. 
which is always a good thing. During standard with Montebubian around, I would always have... Oh, that cart was a menace. Yeah, I would always have uh, Ceratops in my sideboard. And there was a game on Arena, I remember, uh, it was game three. And uh, I was like, I need Ceratops because I lost game one. Ceratops carried me game two. Game three, I mulliganed to two. It was a tilt mulligan. Got one land in Ceratops, and we got there. We won. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. Wow. Yeah. I just kept drawing lands, and I was like, this is great. They're they're getting their one drops down, and I'm like, oh, no. But they had no Curious Obsession until, like, turn three. So that was a big difference right there. Ah, okay. And then a fun card, and I don't know this particularly for a mono-blue matchup, but this is a card I found. I remember seeing it a long time ago and just completely forgetting about it. And, you know, this is another one of those examples of, like, a card that I find is very uh, very cool and potentially potentially has a home. Uh, and it's one of these examples of, like, Pioneers very underexplored. Uh, I found the card Overwhelming Denial, which... First of all, it's just a really cool concept, like the the art, and like I really like the art and the name and what it does. It's a counterspell. It's a ca- it's uh, two blue blue for an instant. Um, overwhelming denial can't be countered by spells or abilities, and it counters target spell. Now the upside to this is that it has a surge cost of just two blue, and for the people who don't know what surge does. You may cast this spell for its surge cost if you or a teammate has cast another spell this turn. No, this card isn't from Battlebond. In Oath of the Gatewatch, there was actually surge, which worked a bit of a two-headed giant mechanic. But it's again, it says you or a teammate has cast another spell. So if you, for example, get into a counter war, you can use this as like the second counter you use. Or maybe you can like try and push a creature and then they'll try and counter it, and then you can overwhelming denial something, or, you know, you cast a cling to dust, and then you've effectively, like, the mana you used on a cling to dust, you got that back because now your overwhelming denial was cheaper. And I just found this a really fun and interesting card. Um, And another one of those examples of, like, hey, maybe, maybe there's more like this out there. Just random scryfall searches. I like the card. I mean, I like, I like a lot of them. I mean, this afternoon, in order to brew up a brew up a deck for a, for something else, I looked through every instant of sorcery in Pioneer. Now, at one point, it becomes a little bit of a blur. <laughs> you go through so many cards, but like that's where you're always like find like the the random fun cards. But it's especially when you see like these smaller searches. That's where I tend to like find the cool cards because you're more focused. So now you're like, oh, you know, I'm looking for uncounterable spells. I know there's only 12, right? And now you're going to, like, really carefully read all of them. And that's where you find these cards that you just, like, never heard of before or read, like, a, like when the format was new and you went through every card and then it, like, glimpsed by. And I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool find. And I'm immediately going to buy myself some. Because it's pennies, anyway. Get the foil. It's Oath of the Gatewatch. Is that safe is that safe foil territory because this art looks like it would be a really cool foil um and my problem with foils has never been that i don't like foils is i don't like cards that are more curled than the rest of my deck oath of the gatewatch do i have any foils from oath of the gatewatch because i remember getting the full art lens from oath of the gatewatch and then being horribly miscolored 
Like I got the full art one, which is like the the island that's sort of like the water is like crashing against the cliffs. And I got six of them, and I think I have them in three different colors or something, which made no sense to me. Yeah, I don't know if I have any foils from Oath of the Gatewatch. Um, what set is Hidden Strings from? Oh, that's way older. That's like uh, Return to Ravnica or something. Oh, wait, no. Is Thought Seer here? Is Thought Seer in this set? Yeah. I have those. Those are... From... Yeah, Thought Seer is from the same set. I, I have those in foils. Those are uh, fine. Uh, um, also, um, uh, what's the other one? The, the one that we saw in... Uh... Uh, da, 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 da. Reality Smasher? No. Um, Catacomb Sifter? Is that from the set? I'm just trying to think of... Uh, I think that's from the set before. I think Catacomb Sifter is from Battle of... I, I have those in foils, and they're fucking gorgeous. So... All right. Get them. <laughs> well, maybe I'll get myself the foils. Um, because, again, this is this has got, like, crashing waves on it and stuff, so it must be... Oh, Displacer. Displacer. And then there's then there's the black one, which is uh, the one we saw in the Abzan Coco, that Epic Blade. Oh, the Wasteland Strangler. Yeah. is Which one is... Is that from this one, or is that from a different set? I think it's a different set. That's from the same set. Oh, is it? Cool. Yeah, I, I have that in foil, too. I actually... I, I have more... Oh, actually, that's from Battle for Zendikar. All the uh, Devoid Eldrazi... Oh, Inverter... Inverter's from this set. I think from the one before, but from Battle for Zendikar, but still, like... No, Inverter... Inverter's of the Gatewatch. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought the Devoid ones were Battle for Zendikar and the Colorless ones were Oath of the Gatewatch, but it might be... Whatever. Same block, so... Kalidus is from this set. Aww. It's like... Yes. It's like a trip down memory lane. Oh, this is... This is nice. <laughs> this is a nice little look. I don't know if there's any other cool card. Oh, Void, your favorite? Oh, Void Shatter and Foil would be beautiful, Alex. Why don't you get those? That's not a bad idea. Right? That oh. also works. Remember? Oh, yeah. I was like, with Void Shatter, it works really well against uh, Mystical Dispute. What also works really well against Mystical Dispute is if your card just straight up can't be countered. <laughs> the Negate in this set's pretty nice, too. Oh, yeah. Oath of the Gatewatch is. Um, is except the player's reward one, which I've really grown to like, the uh, no text negate. That's a really cool one. But otherwise, that Oath of the Gatewatch negate is my favorite negate. The art is great, and it was in the very first promo pack I won at a showdown. Had a foil uh, Oath of the Gatewatch negate. And I purposely got my other negate non-foil, so I know exactly which card it is that I got from the first promo pack. So I know it's that negate. Because I don't own other ones in foil. That's beautiful. I also have Void Grafter in foil because I was building a Simic Flash and I was like, this is a cool Flash creature. So I just got him. <laughs> That's also in this set. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. It doesn't get my mystical dispute and it, it protects your creatures. When Void, uh, Void Grafter enters the battlefield, another target creature control gains Hexproof. It's a three mana two four. Devoid Flash. So I thought it was That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool one to have. Um, good blocker. Uh, I tried getting Reflector Mage foils, and they're like twelve dollars. And I was like, "Yeah, maybe, I, maybe I don't need them." <laughs> modern, maybe modern I, humans. Maybe I don't need them. Yeah, this this set is way more stuff than I thought. Oh, there's Expedite, <gasps> the Goblin Dark Dwellers. Ooh, ooh. Battle for Zendikar is probably the block that gets the most crap out of like any block in Magic's history, basically. And I feel like it's totally undeserved. I think it's the. I think it's because the hype around it, um, around going back to Zendikar. I'll say the problem is, is that it had a, it spent a very long time in standard. 
uh, due to like they kept changing how rotation worked, I think twice in that way. So it was like the longest lasting standard set of all time. So people grew really tired of it. I joined later in the game. So I was at the tail end of that format. And I was like, this seems perfectly fine. Like, I don't know what the problem is here. Uh, imagine when people wanted to ban Gideon Eli of Zendikar at the time in standard. Because he makes a 2-2 every turn, and then he starts attacking for 5. Woo. Um, we should play... Uh... And it obviously completely broke Modern in half at the start, giving us Eldrazi Winter. So, hey, look. Eldrazi from that set broke a format. When did that happen? Wouldn't know. Hello? All right, so from uh, looking to the past, let's look to the future. We had three spoilers in the last few weeks, in the last two weeks, I believe from uh adventures in the forgotten realms and we're probably not going to get some for a while because we've like filled in the season of modern horizon spoilers but these were spoiled on some sort of D live stream they should all all three should be um known D characters now i play DD myself i don't actually know any of these characters i know one in reference because my friend made sure that we're never going to see this character in the campaign again in the campaign because i am a huge arachnophobe and I guess we will keep that one for last because it's the Planeswalker. And it's it's probably the coolest too. Yeah, so we'll go through... Uh, I'll start with the least interesting one. Um, I'm probably going to offend people because it's like their favorite character. Um, Drizzt Do-Urden? Do-Urden? Gosh, D&D names it already. I, I like to imagine you say it all really fast, like a slur, like Drizzt Urden, like, like a German slur. Drizzt Urden. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, it is an elf ranger which I believe is a new creature type. Um, three green-white legendary creature, so Elf Ranger, double strike for a 3-3. Three, three. When Dritz, I'll just say Dritz, when Dritz enters the battlefield, create, oh God, Gwenhiwar, a legendary 4-1 green cat with trample. Whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than Dritz, Put a 1-1 counter on Dritz equal to the difference. Put a number of 1-1 counters on Dritz equal to the difference. So if your Galta dies, you put 9 counters on this guy. Until he, like, matches the power of your previous card that died. And it's a double striker, so... Whatever, it's a it's a 5 drop. It's 5 mana for a 3-3 three, three and a 4-1. I would much rather play Tolsamir. I mean, it's effectively a 5 mana 6-6 six, six that makes a 4-1. I mean... It's, it's like a... It's like a a, a beefy um what's the red two drop next to the monkey uh Karizev. yeah it's like a beefy Karizev in Selesnia. Eh, it's a five drop this is unplayable it doesn't have evasion if this had like double strike trample i i think maybe it would be like so huge it would just force its way into being playable but i think niv plays this as a one of instead of tolsamir just play tolsamir it, it gives you life it fights, so it works against aggro. Tolsamir is the card you bring in against aggro. When do you want this? Against control. <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, um, I don't know. It, it's like I don't. I don't know where this where this would ever see play. Niv is probably the only deck that can realistically play it, and definitely won't. I. I'd be saving safe in saying that. I think Niv is the only deck that could realistically play this and won't, unless obviously. There can always be a way that, like, this gets, like, some sort of really strange support and, like, some sort of legend tribal style thing, and then this would, like, suddenly be good, but I doubt it, right? This definitely feels like just, like, the fan service card. 
What? Cameras. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. It's not legal anyway. Um, Bru- moving on to Bruenor. Hmm. Bruenor Battlehammer. How a typical dwarf that your name is Battlehammer. So, two red white for a legendary creature, dwarf warrior. He is a 5 3. Each creature you control gets plus two plus zero for each equipment attached to it. All right, but you may pay zero rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate each turn. Brad, Colossus Hammer, Hammer Time. He's also a warrior, so you have Resolute Strike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a warrior, he's a dwarf, if that ever gets relevant. Um, warrior makes me hopeful that there's going to be more warrior support in uh, this right. Warrior is one of the ones you need to hit for a party, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah, so it would make sense for at least to be maybe not specific warrior support, but then at least just like a good warriors finding its way in the set. Maybe we'll see some more equipment synergy. Um, oh, I'm fucking stupid. We had this conversation. I was looking at Vorpal Sword right next to it, and I was like, I, I forget. Yeah, no, it's the activated ability that's expensive. Yeah, I thought it was the equip, and the activated ability was the cheaper one. Damn it! Nope. They did that very deliberately. Yeah, that'd be dumb if it was the other way around. Fuck. Yeah, but again, so this is a this is a way to cheat with your to cheat with your Colossus Hammer, but instead of a card like Sigarda's Aid, um, which doesn't do much else, it is a creature, so it actually can can also be the card to wield the equipment, which is always nice, right? When it sort of like works in conjunction with it. Same with uh, Resolute Strike, that attaches the equipment but is also a pump spell so it sort of increases the effectiveness of the equipment you're trying to synergize with so that's very nice again there is probably more equipments in pioneer that are really expensive uh to have a high equip cost and not just colossus hammer but that you know would be the main one give us jitte i don't know would jitte be too good i don't feel like it'd be that good it's probably okay but like, like okay I don't, I don't want to get into that conversation because i've never cast a gta so i don't have uh, the experience with it my my immediate my immediate uh thinking is like how many cards are they just randomly saying you can destroy a creature or an artifact on it look at fracture um look at uh rip apart like uh you have assassin trophy abrupt decay hits it prismari command yeah like colgan's command hits it like there are so many cards in pioneer that are like yeah your jitte bye okay well, and like there's less value in pinging one drops because there's not that many to ping mm-hmm. as opposed to like Legacy where Jitte basically says when you connect with this, you can kill two of your opponent's creatures. Oh no, you killed my Stitcher supplier. <laughs> oh no, please don't do that again when I play this next one. <laughs> but unless there's something else you want to add about Boros Warrior Equipment Tribal, is there a particular card you're thinking of? No, I'm just kind of disappointed in that being the... Like, it's fine. I'm I'm just disappointed that that's the approach they keep taking with uh, dwarfs and boros in, in general. They they just... Why, why does every dwarf have to be all about, like, the equipment thing? Like, I get it. It's flavorful, but it's uninspiring, and, like, it just feels like it's one of those... I mean, all the dwarves in Kaladash were inventors. No, okay, I get it. It's, it's flavorful, but, again... It just feels like that that type of archetype where it's they'll keep giving it random support like this, but it's never going to be good enough. Where we just have a hundred of unplayable dwarfs and cards that synergize with them, and just aren't good. It's like the 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 Nahiri from Last Zendikar. Yeah, it's sort of like please give it like 
you know, I, I never get why they have to spread it out so much. Where like, can't you just put these ideas in one set? I think I think limited, and then put a lot of other ideas in another set. I think it's because limited. Like, could you imagine if like you're like this limited strategy is drafting Boros equipment, and you're like, Fuck. <laughs> oh, limited. How you affect constructed sometimes or card prices because brazen borrower obviously had to be a mythic. I mean, it's it's apparently affecting uh, pioneer masters because uh, the whole reason that they. Uh, shelved it according to them was that they uh, wanted to uh, reapproach their idea for uh, the limited environment to balance it with the uh, the overall set as well and i'm just like i don't care about pioneer masters limited that's bullshit probably that's what they said but moving on to uh the stuff of nightmares oh, I, this this card is so cool flavor wise i hope we get spider tribal i would love to play a spider deck ishkana baby a friend of mine's got a spider EDH deck, and it's really bad, but... Yeah, because there's no good... <laughs> it doesn't hit well on the uh, arachnophobia vibes. There's no good spiders. It's Lolth, Spider Queen. It is a Bladeswalker. Now, in case any Vorthos people are wondering, um, Lolth and a couple of other characters in D&D, just to, like, go in line with um, how a normal set's designed, where it always contains, like, three, two or three Planeswalkers... There will be planeswalkers, but they are lore-wise not planeswalkers. As in, like, Loth is not randomly going to show up in future sets. She's a planeswalker, like, design-wise in, like, you know, how she functions as a card, but not lore-wise. It's not like they can leave and, like, next time we go to Amonkhet, suddenly Loth is there for people who want it. That would be so cool, though. I am very happy that I don't have to worry that every spoiler season, like, a random Spider Queen is going to show up. Because this art, you don't see much of it, but the alternative art is horrifying. Like... Well, let me see the alternative art. Truly the stuff of nightmares, if you hover over it on Mythic Spoiler. Ooh, that's pretty. It is. Okay. Anyway, so it is a legendary Bladeswalker. For three black black, so she's five mana, starts on four loyalty and has a static ability. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Love Spider Queen. Then she has three abilities. Zero, you draw a card and you lose one life. Minus three, create two two one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. And minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage. Uh, by one or more creatures you control if that player lost less than eight, eight life this turn they lose life equal to the difference which basically means whenever you connect whenever you connect in combat you always lose at least eight which yeah spider flavor because eight eight legs haha -ha. the the minus three thing is weird uh because it's creating two uh, two ones usually they're one twos yeah they're what they have menace they're also black not black green and they have reach so really really wonky i mean pretty much every spider has reach right uh yeah but like it, they're aggressively statted and they're also um <laughs> god damn it <laughs> let me i i lost my train of thought and i don't alex don't even fucking cut this i don't care because this is funny let me crop this real quick because I'm looking on Goldfish. And you know how Goldfish randomly has advertisements like most websites do? Mm -hmm. This is the advertisement that Goldfish has right now on my screen. And it is 
hilarious. So stupid. <laughs> Divorce. Join them. <laughs> She's... You catch your spouse doing erotic yoga with someone else. What do you do? Instant divorce or you join in the yoga? The, what the hell was the, this? The disgust on his face. Brad, these things are based on your cookies, right? I, 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 I was, what, I, what type of stuff do you look up? Mine are all like World of Warcraft classic Burning Crusade coming and like, you know, cloves my girlfriend's looked up on my computer and that's about it. I wish I could tell you I was looking up hentai. I, that would I would love to just be like, hey, that's the explanation. I love hentai, but no, I, I don't know what to okay, tell you. But speak, speaking of other things that might potentially have weird erotic fiction written about them, um, back to Loth. Loth, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting in her design because of the static ability, whenever a creature dies, put a loyalty counter on Loth, you can set up a board state where you play Loth and instantly ult her. Because if you just have a sack outlet and three and four creatures, or three and the outlet if it can sack itself, you could just play Loth, sack all your stuff, ult Loth immediately. And that is actually like very strong in the way that it's like very exploitable. And that's why I feel like the the ultimate is very well designed because it's similar to Vraska Golgari Queen but not as deadly where it's like any creature that connect instantly kills you and here it's like any creature that connects just does a little damage and it's also they have to connect it's not like whenever you lose life it's going to be at least eight um, because that would obviously be crazy because then the Zulipur Cutthroat would do eight on every drain um but I find that design really cool, and I can imagine, like, I don't know, does this show up in, like, John Citadel or something? Maybe not Citadel, but maybe it spawns a... So, okay, so similarly to how Citadel is the top end for Junt. Imagine this with Katoven. True. Well, this is, this is what I'm thinking. So, you know how Citadel is the top end in Jun Citadel, and it has the just, like, the sack, uh, like, idea game plan? Maybe this could be the top end in a different deck instead of Citadel um, with that same kind of idea that just focuses on going wide with like Catacomb Sifter and things that make tokens. And then you just play this, like you said, sack four creatures because you have free sack outlet and things like uh, one from Paris Ground. Low Strider. Low Strider, yeah. Um, and then you just minus eight and you just say, okay. Uh, and honestly, like, maybe you go... Th that's where the the menace on the spider she makes are so powerful and in, in tandem. Like, I'm thinking of, like, more menace stuff you could possibly do. Um, maybe we'll get some other spiders uh, in the set. I feel like we have to, right? If she's she's one of the characters they're using and, and it's specifically saying, like, I, I, I think we have to get some kind of spiders, right? Oh, it might not get spiders, but spider-related cards. I know the re I don't know too much about I believe Loth is in you know D and D people know more about this probably tell me off I think she lives in like the Underdark which is like predominantly well her and like spiders and spider like beings and things worshipping the spider like well and 
things worshipping Loth, which I don't think are all spiders, but are going to be spider-related stuff. But I am not going to Google that, because after this recording, I'm going to bed. <laughs> uh, she lives within the Pantheon. So I'm buying myself another two hours of sleep. Uh, the Pantheon of the Dark Seldarine. That's what it says. Uh-huh. As well as, she's also known as the Queen of the Demon Web Pits. That's kind of a kick-ass name. <laughs> the most influential goddess of Dro. Um... Yes, the Dark Seldarine is where she's from. Uh, she was a mother of both Elastre and Vahrun, along with uh, Vandria, uh, though the latter never supported the acts of the mother during the Dark Seldarine. Um, art's cool. Definitely would be terrifying in a dark corridor. <laughs> would be terrifying in a very well-lit corridor, too. <laughs> Would maybe be more terrifying in a very well lit corridor because you could actually see what's what's standing up opposite of you. True. Like when I just hear like a creepy woman talk, I don't immediately assume her to be attached to a spider. Well, this is so maybe it creeps me out less. This is well lit enough to you can definitely make out the giant spider body. <laughs> She's like a centaur. Yeah. <laughs> just hear instead of hearing it gallop, it's just no, no, Brad piss off um <laughs> all right so to um i suppose move along to the last subject that we're going to talk about um we had a i'll say an interesting discussion start in the uh start in the discord and again people who watch the invitational from our discord server would know but i know a lot of the listeners aren't necessarily part of our discord server um, we had the Invitational, and one of the people, we've had him on the cast before, we've mentioned him before, as in winning plenty of them before, plenty of the Invitationals before, uh, Epic, or Sir Epic, as he's known on the Discord, uh, played Upzon Company. So this is the green-white company deck that we've seen come in from Historic, and is still making, making small waves in the format. And some people, and then Epic included, decided that this deck should be Upzon. Um, large part is to abuse uh, Wasteland Strangler, but it's also an, an idea to bring some more disruption in the deck if you want to. You could potentially run like Thoughtseize uh, in the sideboard. You can have Anafenza as a little bit of graveyard hate, but also just to add to your clock. Because after the tournament and after playing in like an event afterwards, doing some gold fishing. Epic wasn't particularly happy with his deck. And I remember him telling me, like, this is the first and last time that I'm playing a Coco deck. And he came to us with the question, well, or maybe thoughts, what is your opinion on Collected Company? And he initially states, I personally think it is a bad card and it is extremely overrated in Pioneer. Our, our thoughts on it. He then goes on, to exceed the character limit on Discord three times to get, give us an essay as to why he thinks it is. Now, I'm not going to read out the whole thing. I will... Um, it basically boils down to he he gives... Um, so, yeah, he says... Uh, Immortal said, I dare you to read this on the cast. I won't. So, he basically boils it down to some things. He initially pulls up like a whole history lesson of World Championship 2016, which I won't go into the details. You can all read this in the Discord. It is in our mailbag if you're interested. 
uh, afterwards a discussion started. So I've now put the mail back on slow mode because people were talking too much in it and I couldn't, you know, scroll up and read the questions. And he basically, I mean, he doesn't even, he, he, it's not that he like explains necessarily why collected company is bad, but he does put into words like what makes for a good collected company deck and acknowledges that the Upzon deck isn't the perfect collected company deck because it doesn't have like these above raid creatures that become crazy to cheat out like um the simic Sto- the uh well saltai stompy was it in this case uh other deck had that played in our invitational or the simic stompy deck we see now which has a lot of above raid creatures like old grove troll steel leaf champion uh, if you're going into ups, uh, into black, you get like Rotting Regisar, Aegon. You get these ridiculous creatures which allow you to cheat out like 10 power on your opponent's end step. While the Collected Company deck that is more the Hate Bear style deck generally gets like 5 power out of it. So it doesn't provide that similar clock. And then I'll read out the last bit. So he says, looking back, I can see how direct and... Um, Okay, he says, like, I can see how direct and unexplaining how good the card is. So I guess he also, like, I don't, didn't exactly get the sentence. Uh, but I really think it's a card that doesn't have enough support in Pioneer to take it to the next level. The card is good, but the quality of supporting cards is not good enough in Pioneer compared to other decks are doing such as Fires or Niv. I think the core issue is surprising the lower part of the curve as what happens if your turn one dork dies or you don't draw a dork to accelerate into this now we have some thoughts on this i don't know if you want to start brad or i mean his statement goes back to what we talked about earlier when i asked you like hey is pioneer overly dependent on dorks like saffron olive stated and i think the problem with evaluating this deck in the manner that he's going about it and it's funny because we joked about this before the cast because we were looking at goldfish's awful deck naming algorithm and uh we've noticed that the deck of this nature being selesnia or abzan is just known as collected company in the pioneer page and the humans orzov deck is known as luris the uh lotus field taking turns deck is known as part the water veil so it has its problems so even though like you know despite the goldfish naming it collected company this is not a collected company deck. And what I mean by that is normally you think of collected company decks being like, that's the card. You're doing everything you can to just like make sure that you cast this card and that's how you win games. Where in reality, this deck is just trying to get out cards like Archon of Ameria, Sweet Spellbinder, things like that that are designed to slow down your opponent's game plan and make sure that they play or they play fair magic just like you are, and you're on the same terms. And then you use Coco as a leverage piece to try and pull ahead of what your opponent's doing, and hopefully, while you're pulling ahead and getting extra value and outgrinding them on board, you're spawning or getting into play more copies of Amiria or Elite Spellbinder, things that are supposed to slow down or even further impede them and pull you further ahead than what Coco already is designed to do. 
This is not a deck in which you're like, I need to get turn three Coco every single time. This That's great. If you can go into the, the curve of turn one Dork, turn two Amiria, turn three Coco, wonderful. You, you, you're playing the deck on easy mode. But I think the deck has some more difficult nuances and lines of play that are more than meets the eye. And if you look at this deck and pilot this deck as like, I need to get Coco out and that's how I win, you're going to lose. And I, I think, frankly, that's what we saw happen with Epic and, and the uh, and the Invitational. And uh, it, the, look, this is not the kind of deck they play. And this is a deceptively, uh, or a very deceiving deck in terms of like, it looks like it's easy to play, but I, I promise you it's not. I've watched I've watched people play the historic version. This is not very far off of the historic version, and it's not just you don't just put the blinders on and just tunnel vision and just turn your mind off. It's not always that simple. Yeah, I, th- I think you make a lot of uh, make a lot of good points there too. I have my points. I I kind of want to like divide it up into three because one thing that Epic um, mentioned with this is that he said that I don't he doesn't feel like. Coco is a card that you can use well to catch up. Now, I think this point is very much related to the deck that he's playing. Because, as I said before, if your opponent is, like, you know, dealing with your stuff quite well, yeah, if you collected company and you put four power on the board, that's not a great way to catch up. If you're playing Stompy and you collected company and you put 12 power on the board, the game might just end on your turn. Yeah. So your opponent is constantly at the threat and has to play around collected company. Because, like, if I board wipe here and you collected company me after that board wipe, I immediately die. Because, or I could immediately die because I'm going to take so much damage. The highest damage that the Upson Company deck can do is eight. And that means hitting your Anafenza, which is a one-off in a lot of these lists, and hitting it together with a Wasteland Strangler or an Elite Spellbinder, because they're your only three power creatures. And they will go up to four because of Anafenza. So your maximum is eight. I'm looking at a Stompy deck. It is, it's almost the minimum is eight. And it can be nine or ten. Or when we go into Golgari, it can be literally 14 damage. If they hit double Regisar, it's 14 damage. That means the maximum damage that an uh a, like a golgari stompy deck i'm using golgari because that's the one i've played against most like on uh playing as a drew on the server there's a bit like it's almost double the damage that they can do and then it becomes a catch-up card in the sense of maybe not even catch-up but it's like this constant like huge threat that it just isn't coming out of the other deck and the other two parts i want to like compare it is that he sort of makes two points between, or are like I'm c- a bit confused, between are we talking about is Collected Company a good card or are Coco decks good decks? Which are like two different things. Because, well, first of all, if I look at the metagame page, and again, the metagame page is flawed, right? It's, it's not a perfect system. Uh, it misses a lot of information, like through leagues and that sort of thing. Uh, or it uses leak, but leak data is selective. So it's sort of like garbage in, garbage out that people often use in these sort of data systems. Um, but I go to show deck list from the last 30 days. And if we consider um, Jun Sacrifice to also be a, a Coco deck, because when it's Citadel, it is, and the challenge was won by Citadel. 
uh, if we consider spirits to be a at least a potential Coco deck, because you know often it goes banned in order just to play Collected Company, then four out of the ten top decks are Collected Company decks. So that already makes me feel like maybe the support cast isn't there in every archetype, but I don't know. It seems like there's support, right? Because we we've got four out of the top 10 decks are relying on collected company and you're saying like yeah something like bring to light and niv mizzet is do it is, can do more and it's like yeah but in one deck this card's in four right that already makes me feel like this card is good and also i feel like and i've, I've said this before with collected company like just talking about the card itself is that collected company is the type of card where you can put a bunch of random creatures in a deck and as long as there's cmc3 or less you just put a play set of coco in your deck and your deck is at least decent right merfolk is like a two out of ten deck it's it's just trash really with collected company it becomes like a five out of ten now if the deck is a five out of ten that means the deck is still bad does that mean Coco is bad? No, because it made a 2 out of 10 deck a 5 out of 10 deck by adding a play set of one card, which is an incredible amount of power to add to one deck using one card. There's, there's very few cards, I think, in Magic that can single-handedly add so much power to your deck. Now, one thing that can be said about Coco is that it might not be worth it to heavily skew your deck towards Collected Company. If you're playing like a Gruul mid-range style deck with like Questing Beast, Glorybringer, Goldspan Dragon, um, maybe you played like the sort of like traditional Stompy list that ran like Surak and Galta, and maybe you want to run Foreman Agaric, and you feel like that build is strong, it might not always be worth it to trim that entire top off just to add Coco to your deck. That is the only thing, like, sure, in, in Modern, it feels like it is more likely correct to just shave everything above three and become a Coco deck because there is a higher density of good one, two, and three mana cards, which, first of all, means good three mana cards are the perfect collected company hits. But if you hit two powerful two drops you're still even on mana and you're fine because they're powerful. And that slot might lack a little bit in Pioneer. But still, like, we're kind of like, I feel like I'm sort of like grasping at straws here. I'm just, I think just Coco is one of the best cards in the format. And I feel like the numbers show it. I just feel like Epic potentially has a bad personal experience because he doesn't play collected company decks. And the one he played, as you said very well, is not the best collected company deck. It's more like, hey, all my cards are three drops. Guess I'll just add a company for value. Yeah. But it doesn't abuse company, as you put very well. Yeah, it's it's not one that is supposed to pull you ahead in the sense of getting 12 power on board, like a Rotting Registrar and a Steely Champion. It's one that's supposed to pull you ahead when you've already established good cards like Archon and things like that. Now, one thing worth noting is Epic went Abzan and wanted to play like things like uh, what, what was the one that, that we wanted for for Wasteland Wasteland Strangler. On offense on Wasteland Strangler. Yeah. Now, 
there are other ways to go about this. One thing that no one's really tried yet, it's really been Selesnya and there's been a handful of the Abzan, we haven't seen Bant. Reflector Mage is still a card. There's Deputy of Detention. Uh, there's Glasspool Mimic, which is really cool to splash in there. One or two copies of that. That can copy one of your Archons to make it harder to deal with. Um, which Glasspool Mimic is such a cool Coco card um, because of the fact that it gives you redundancy, which a lot of Coco decks like having redundancy because what happens when you have that? Which I'm actually surprised we haven't seen that in the Simic Stompy list as like a one or two of. Because if I'm playing, you know, Simic Stompy and I have Coco, I hit Steel Leaf Champion and a Glassful Mimic. I now have two Steel Leaf Champions. That's pretty cool. Or if you already have an established. Does that work? Can it copy? Uh, Does it work where if you have an empty board and you hit Coco and a Mimic, can it copy the other card you're hitting with Coco? I believe it sees it as it's dying or as it's entering. It's, is it similar to a Midnight Reaper, how it sees itself as it's dying? I'm trying to look up like Phantasmal Image. Collected Company into Phantasmal Image and another creature. So I cast Collected Company and choose Phantasmal Image and Scion of Una, because this, this, this is an old post. Um, can I have the Phantasmal Image come into play as a copy of the Scion? Um. Oh, if Glasspool Mimic somehow enters the battlefield at the same time as another creature, it cannot become a copy of that creature. You may only choose a creature that's already on the battlefield. Found the ruling. Yeah, so you need a creature that's already there for the Glasspool Mimic to copy. Well, that that immediately weakens my argument for that. But it's still a good, it's still a decent Coco card, right? Yes. So maybe you go one of instead of the two of. Um, but I still like that card in general. But the the idea of this is Bant. Um, and even Spellqueller as an option to like having a, an instant speed uh, dig deep in the deck, grab a Spellqueller, you maybe counter something on the stack. Um, that's always an option too. Now, you have to be careful with that if you're playing Spellqueller and uh, Reflector Mage in the same deck because if you then have to make that decision if where you're playing like the, the card counting game, like you're playing Blackjack and you Coco and you're like, okay, do I do this Coco <laughs> in response to the person, my opponent's uh, card on the stack to try and spell queller it? Or do I Coco on end step and try to get a Reflector Mage to get it on the battlefield and bounce it? Because you can't do both. Um, which might make it so that you could figure out that spell queller is not worth having in the deck in general. So you don't play spell queller and you go straight for ETB effect board state as is and not on the stack things. Um, but there's different avenues to explore this archetype and splashing a third color is probably one of the best things you can do for this deck because the mana for Selesnya is not quite where it needs to be. We're missing the fast lands and the pain lands. So funnily enough, going into Abzan, going into, uh, you know, um, Bant, whatever can actually improve the mana base because you get access to more cards of consistent mana. Uh, so more shock lands, um, some some check ones if you want to play that you have all the pathways well i'd say it like never imp it, it i don't think it ever improves your mana but it's a way smaller cost yes going into certain colors than going into other colors i mean i'll, I'll always say when i played uh bant spirits over azoria spirits my mana was consistently better than azorius because i had breeding pool and uh and temple garden to help alongside hollow fountains and things like that i didn't i wasn't forced to play worse cards yeah but obviously like your 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 breeding pool when you add green would have been an island which makes your mana just as good for the sake of your azorius yes colors yes um 
now I think um I think another thing, and I you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be like the psychologist and read into all of this shit too much, but Epic is our stats guy. And Epic is like and, and Brad has a hand in this too, to like very like meticulously craft a mana base and like spend like three hours on the math. Right? And it's like you know, Epic is the can spend like three hours in his Celestia deck figuring out if he should play a temple or like a planes instead. And that's just the type of patience I don't have. I just start playing and I'll figure it out as I go, as I lose like my first five games to my mana base and I got it. So um and Collected Company is a somewhat inconsistent card. So the Collected Company deck without Coco which sounds weird, but like this hate bear stack without Coco, let's say would be a 7 out of 10 without. Because it's, you know, it's already a good raid again. It, it, it runs sort of Coco as gravy, right? It, it gives your creatures flash, which is a very, very, very valuable thing about Coco that I haven't stressed enough yet. It effectively draws you a card if you hit two, which is very nice. But giving your creatures flash is super good. Because the majority of board wipes in this game are sorceries. And as a creature deck, playing around board wipes is A, really hard, and B, super important, right? It's probably the thing where you can, like, gain the highest amount of win percentage by knowing how to play around board wipes. And Collected Company does it for you. Because your creatures suddenly gained flash. But the problem is... You don't know what creatures you're going to give Flash, because they're still on top of your deck. So your 7 out of 10 deck, you you decide, like, okay, this deck is a 7 out of 10, but you want to win a tournament, or a challenge, or a showcase. You need your deck to be better than a 7 out of 10. So instead, you put Collected Company in, which means some decks, your deck is going to be a 9 out of 10, because your Collected Companies are great. And some games your deck is going to be a 5 out of 10 because your collected companies are crap. And we've talked about this before in the past where it's like, if you want to win a tournament, it is always a combination of picking the right deck and getting lucky. Nobody wins a tournament with bad luck. right? You always need to be lucky in order to win a tournament. On top, you can maximize your odds, but you got to be lucky. And in that way, building around Collected Company in this way makes your deck swingier, which can be frustrated if you play like 10 matches because you might get the short end of the stick and it feels like Collected Company is crap. But you need to make your deck swingy if you want to win a tournament because you need to like enable your deck to like hit that peak because you're going to need your deck to be that 9 out of 10 for you in order to win a tournament. So yeah, some tournaments, your deck is going to behave like a 5 out of 7, because you're unlucky, and you could have never won. But that's just the nature of trying to spike a tournament. With a card like Collected Company. Now, if you take a card like Enigmatic Incarnations, that he played in the previous um, invitation, and actually won with Enigmatic Incarnations, that is a deck that has that less. Right? Instead of the sometimes 5 out of 10, sometimes 9 out of 10, but the average being like that 7 out of 10, you're going to pick a deck that is like consistently a 7.5 out of 10. 
if you know what I mean. You're going to pick that deck that is consistently a little better, but it doesn't spike as hard as the other deck. But no hard. It doesn't spike as hard. Also mean it doesn't dip as low. And I feel like that's just a type of like deck or mindset you need to get into. Because I'll be honest, I really like my Elves deck, which is a collected company deck. On the side, it would probably drive me nuts too if I had to play it the whole time. Yeah, I mean, looking at the invitational if you look at epic he did have the first round by because of the structure of this time around uh he 2-0'd risen the first time against phoenix he got 2-0'd by niv and then he lost 2-1 uh to phoenix again um so and we can both attest and this goes back to the idea that this is not a normal coco deck um epic and he's he even admitted himself both on stream because i heard it when i had the volume on for him um and afterwards that he misplayed and there there were some misplays and that that's understandable you cannot be the best pilot of a deck you just don't play like we 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 had the thing with Ractos pyromancer with him and he was phenomenal with pyromancer without like barely ever playing it he was really good with on spirits too he was he's been great on enigmatic fires but all those decks have something in common that they have these types of lines in which the avenues that you're presented with are kind of not clear cut, but they're much more available to you. And there's not really much deception to them. And there's a bit more, I suppose. Uh, it's like, you know, all the cards in your hand, you know, all the cards on the field. So you can like, you can figure the puzzle out. Yeah. Where, but Coco is an unknown. Exactly. Um, and that's just the nature of that kind of deck. And, he didn't play into his own strengths of the type of deck he likes to play. So that could have also been a part of it. So to wrap up his question, statement, whatever you want to call it, um, no, Coco's not a bad card. Coco is probably quite the opposite. One of the best cards in the format. It's just, it's this, it's a deceptive card, especially in this kind of deck. It's not just an I win the game button. There are plenty of games in which you're playing with Coco where it is an I win the game button, and that happens. But you could say the same thing about so many cards. Like Elder Gargaroth is an I win the game button against Phoenix, right? Is that an I win the game button against every other deck in the format? No. It's annoying for Niv to deal with, but they can Vanishing Verse it. It's annoying for Rakdos Pyromancer, but they could kill it with Dreadbore and things like that. Um, they have Blood Chief's Thirst. So you can't just put a blank statement over everything and say, yeah, this has to be the best card because I've heard it's the best card or whatever. Also, limited experience with the deck, limited experience playing Coco decks, things like that. Don't take it too hard. Don't take it too much to heart. Next time, play decks you're more comfortable with. Even if you, Even the most skilled pilots have decks they don't like. Like we like Alex, you're not the you're not the biggest fan of combo decks a lot of time. You say yourself you did not enjoy Storm in Modern. Um, and and everyone has that. And like I'm actually I actually did quite well with it. I just hated it. <laughs> <laughs> everyone has a thing. Everyone doesn't like to be backed into a certain corner. Um, yeah, it is what it is. I'm not going to ask you to go play an aggro deck tomorrow for uh, for the Invitational. You, you'll, you'd feel more comfortable playing a uh, control deck. Here, Alex, go play mono red. Have fun. <laughs>
God, I do so poorly. Here's here's bow mat. It's like yeah, I just I just, it's like yeah, I I bow mat. I attack a couple times. I'm good, right? No. Oh no. <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> no, you should you should you should have won by now. I I remember when I first started playing and like I had bow mat and I was so confused by like the ruling of bow mat in which um I was attacking with one. They killed the first one. I played a second one. And, I'm, and I was like, why can't I sack this one to get all the stuff from the first one? Well, they're not the same bow mat. Yeah, they are. They're both bow mat. Well, no, but they're not the same bow mat. So? Give me my cards. <laughs> like, it, that that was such a, a little bit of a learning curve. Um, but do you have any other closing statements on uh, the uh, epic question? I mean... Kind of what you said, I think Coco is just a phenomenal magic card. It is super good. But it is, it has a deck building cost, right? We had um, some other people comment on it in the server. Uh, we had some discussion about it. And for example, uh, Juke put it. Um, let's see, so let's see. So he initially said, uh, I don't think, it, I honestly don't think it should be played in John Sack. I think that's not good because I think you you would disagree. Um, Heavily disagree. F***ing, it is goaded in Citadel. Goated. It is the Tom Brady of cards in that f***ing deck. Well, it's actually, it's more like Randy Moss. But but it, it says it should be played in John Sack since it's a deck that can do well without it and it makes you shave on interaction, which is true, right? Yeah. If you... The the problem that you very regularly see happen is when people play Coco decks. Is they go to game two, they board out eight creatures, they put in eight non-creatures, and they're like, hey, my Cocos are shit. It's like, yeah, there are 60 creatures left to your deck, dude. Of course your Cocos are going to be bad, right? And in that way, Coco is a really, is a deck building cost. And I, you know, I can see that it might not always be worth it where people run coco more often than they should right but i wouldn't really say like coco is i mean in that way is coco coco is potentially overrated i don't know i've never really seen a misplaced coco yet where i've seen a deck run coco and i was like no i don't think you should right pretty much every deck that i see that plays coco it's like yeah you're probably fine playing coco because of how good the card is. Uh, it has deck building costs, yes. But the question, is the card, like, um, let's get the original, the initial wording, just to, you know, I'm not trying to be picky, but just so I, you know, get the the right intentions. Where is it? There is. There are a lot of channels on our server. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, I mean, being an admin, it makes it so you see all of them. Pioneer Perspective Millback... Yeah, I see all of them. So, is it extremely overrated? No. Is it a little overrated? I don't know. Maybe it's one of the better cards in the format, so it's probably going to be overrated. Um, you know, like how I feel like Niv Mizzet and Bring to Light are overrated cards. They're phenomenal cards, but people talk about them as if they're like the second coming of Christ, and it's not right. It's it's a really good card, but it's not like leagues above all else, really. Um, but is it a bad card? Hell no. <laughs> Coco is amazing. There are so many decks that wouldn't work if they didn't have Coco. Yeah. So for me, that's a sign of a great card. It makes some decks 
just wouldn't like it, it it takes two out of ten decks and makes them six out of ten decks which is crazy good and it takes seven out of ten decks and makes them nine out of ten decks which is still crazy good for one card so no coco is amazing um but if you don't like it uh, i can totally see it because of the randomness to it um he played it against me yesterday in our tournament. I think his first one hit a Voice of Resurgence and a Llanowar Elf, and his second one hit a single Spellbinder. And then I think, yeah, then the card doesn't look very good. Yeah. So if that type of randomness doesn't suit you, I understand. Play something else that makes sure you have fun. Variance is a cost in its own, but you are playing Magic where the game is all about variance. So... What can you do? Yeah, and Coco adds to it. So if you don't like that, it's it's the same like playing more colors. I mean, the guy played a six color deck before, but like playing more colors adds an element of ra- an element of randomness to your deck. Yeah, playing Collected Company adds randomness to your deck. So if you don't like that, I would just no, honestly not mention Rude Bay, uh, Rude Way, but just pick another deck. <laughs> yeah. Or like it, or play a better Coco deck if you want to see the true power Coco. Go play Stompy and and just tell me how you feel when you consistently yeah play Stompy <laughs> when you consistently hit two Steely Champions or a Garrick Harbinger and uh, and a Steely Champion or like an Old Growth Troll and a Garrick Harbinger. Those feel nice. Yeah, play that. Th- just play three drop Tribal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or play Jun Citadel and tell me how you feel when you cast a Coco off the top of your deck for four life. That's that's so good. That's like cocaine, dude. That is great stuff. <laughs> Coco, Coco, cocaine. Oh. oh, yes. Coca-Cola. The original. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, surprisingly, we actually managed to have a normal length episode with not as much to talk about on the surface area. Um, but I guess quickly we will... Uh... I mean, granted, I think this is... Is this the number one episode where we went off topic the most? Uh, maybe. We should have an episode where we just go off topic. Probably the highest percentage. We, we've we had like three hour ones where we went off topic for an hour, but I feel like percentage-wise, this might be the one where the highest percentage of the cast was off topic. If you guys enjoyed my different rants about uh, things like Embercleave, The Great Henge, uh, Dino Eternal Robots in Amonkhet. Robots in Egypt. Yeah. Aliens. Uh over-religious people that don't believe in dinosaurs, please let me know and we'll do an entire episode of just stuff like that because I can definitely do that. <laughs> Especially if Wizards continues to forget to feed the deckless guys. So Alex is shaking his head like, please don't let him f***ing do this. Don't, don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick. We are the official podcast of the Playboy Discord server. If you have mailbag questions uh, like featured in our most recent episode, if you haven't listened to that yet, it's out now. Uh, go listen to that. And you can actually have your own questions featured if you go ahead and either DM myself or Alex through various means on social media, be a member of Discord, say it there. Or if we do any big posts on Reddit, things like that, uh, for more questions again, like before, that's an option. Uh, speaking of social media, Alex, what is yours? If you have a Twitter, I know you do. You have some, thought, uh, some thoughts on that uh, wonderful app. Yes, people can find me on Twitter at Disciple of Bolas. And you can find me at Bradsifer on Twitter and everything else. You can also follow the official podcast uh, or the official podcast account, uh, which is at uh, Pio Perspective. And there's also at Come Play Away, which is the Twitter for our Discord server. 
We also have other podcasts. There's the, of course, We Are the Pioneer Perspective. And there's also Pondering Popper, hosted by Callie Guys and Diego Sanchez. They are wonderful. Go listen to them. They also cast the Popper uh, Invitationals, things like that. So they're great. We also have merch. Uh, you can go on inkgaming.com. The links are in the description. There's two links. The first link is actually the artist page for our merch, whether it's the Pirate Perspective mat with myself and Alex playing some games with Nicol Bolas and Kethis there, Nissa, Monster Suspir, a Fatal Push poster done by the wonderful Adriana Catani. Uh, and there's also some other random stuff in there. But there's even Playaway merch as well, the cool Playaway banner. There's a, a Playaway logo um, uh, mat or a mouse pad, I'm sorry. But if those are just not your jam and you don't want to get those kind of uh, um, merchandise, but you actually like some of the other things that Ink Gaming has to offer, the second link is going to be our affiliate link. So if you click, uh, if you click that link and get something from the website in that regard, it still helps us out. It still goes to uh, funding the uh, podcast, the server, things like that. And we always appreciate this uh, support no matter what you do. In general, at the end of the day, Regardless of if you're going to get merch on Ink Gaming or whatever the future endeavors hold for us, we love you. And we thank you for the support just through listening. Uh, that's the whole reason we do this. Uh, I mean, honestly, Alex and I would probably do this just to hear ourselves talk about magic in general. But it's nice to have other people uh, share that interest with us. And we love you. And I'm going to say I love you one more time. Yes, we were uh, recently when that when I mentioned that rant that sort of went on for a couple of people and then the... Uh, let me get it right. The Japan hobbyist. And it just started off this sort of round with like, yeah, you know, there's, you know, aside from like Crew 3 uh, and the Pioneer perspective and some others, not many people make Pioneer content. And I was like, Brad, that's us. <laughs> right? Like this person, I'll be honest, I had seen like pop by, but I didn't exactly know who this person was. Just mentioned me in a tweet. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> it's nice can't believe it it's it's really amazing yeah it, it feels good to grow with the format because this is a format that we love and uh i was always envious of people that had these romanticized feelings about modern and uh, legacy and and saying that like these are staples that they grew up with things that they played with in their own standards when they talk about path and bolt and we finally have a format because you and i both came from around the same time amonkhet and kaladesh and we can finally say that we have that same feeling uh, of cards that we played in our original standards. And we're growing with a format that's an eternal one with the stuff that we liked. Uh, so it's nice to be in that boat, too, and also grow in it with the community uh, of Pioneer um, through the uh, podcast and other things like that. Uh, it, it's incredibly humbling experience, and we're very appreciative of the uh, of the opportunity and the, and the fun that we have along the way. But with that, that's going to do it for us. Hopefully you hear us next week or we hear you next week or you talk to us next week or you hop in the server and say hello and play some games. But until then, bye-bye. See you next week. Bye-bye, everyone.